Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. And it's Thursday, so you know what that means. The Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is back to break down everything that happened Wednesday night on NXT and AEW Dynamite. And boy, oh boy, do we have a damn good show for you today, basically because... AEW and NXT gave us a couple damn good shows on Wednesday night. That's how it works. The wrestling's good, the Silver King is positive, and you get a great 45 to 60 minute podcast. That's how things work around these parts. You know, before we get into it, we got to take care of business. Couple things to talk about. First off, you guys know the drill. Stop being marks for yourselves. Go back to being marks for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast and the Silver King. Stop being marks for yourselves and Head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this damn podcast. I saw a lot of reviews come in after me stressing that I needed more of them uh, over New Year's. I guess it takes Apple a week or two somehow to like fully register them and get them to appear on the site. I'm not sure why it takes so long, but a bunch of brand new five-star reviews I greatly appreciate it, but we can always use more. So do not forget, head on over to Apple Podcasts, hit the five-star button, write a couple nice words about the Silver King and your favorite wrestling podcast. Also, do not forget to head on over to Twitter and follow us there at Getting Overcast. Unlike others, we will not be suspended. The Getting Over Wrestling Podcast will be on Twitter for the foreseeable future. Uh, So yeah, let's talk wrestling, folks, because... It has not been as crazy and controversial a week as we've had somewhat fortunately and mostly unfortunately over the last month. You know, it's been very difficult to kind of get some of these shows out without things happening uh, tragically, both within the world of wrestling and outside the world of wrestling. But I think we got like a clean sheet today. Yeah, yeah, stuff happened. Uh, in the United States uh, on Wednesday, but nothing that was unexpected and certainly nothing that um, prevents us from rolling into the show the way we normally do. So let's just get to it. Let's talk pro wrestling. And this week, you know, I usually go and start the show with, with whichever episode between NXT and AEW Dynamite is either more important or better. I try to find some differentiation between the two and start with one or the other. I actually don't have that ability this week because I thought they were dead even. Both good shows, not great shows, both unspectacular, but nevertheless completely entertaining. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to use my Google Assistant. It's going to choose what we're going to start with. We're going to have NXT represent tails. We're going to have AEW represent heads. And Google is going to choose. Hey, Google, flip a coin. It landed on tails. Tails it is, Tails never fails. That means we're going to start with NXT. And the biggest storyline coming out of this week's show was Finn Balor getting a new challenger for the NXT championship. Balor called out Kyle O'Reilly. He said he was great, but he's just not at his level after their two matches going back and forth. And now O'Reilly is going to be the one eating his meals through a straw. Balor said he's using the red X because he knows he's the target. Balor also said that no one is cut from his cloth. And just as he said that, Pete Dunne's music hit. Dunne said he always knew it would come down to them. And that's the only reason 
Balor is still known as the best wrestler in Europe. It's just because they have not fought yet. Dunn, Oni Lorcan, and Danny Burch all attacked, and Balor fought them off for a really good while by himself until Dunn hit a wrist lock type of slam on him. O'Reilly then ran in for the save. He got pummeled. So Adam Cole and Roderick Strong ran down to save their Undisputed Era partner. Balor then kind of stared down Undisputed Era, but he seemed to at least acknowledge that O'Reilly helped him and appreciate that. Later in the show, Danny Burch said Undisputed Era needed to keep their noses out of their business and Dunn threatened O'Reilly. Undisputed Era then cut a promo together about having each other's backs. The backstage interaction two weeks ago that we saw with Balor and Dunn gave away the direction that we were leading into for the singles match for the probable eventual title match at the February TakeOver pay-per-view, but I'm all for it. The level to which a Balor-Dunn match is going to bang, it may actually exceed the O'Reilly matches. I think people forget the level at which Dunn wrestles and operates. Go back to NXT UK. Think about what he did with Walter. Think about at NXT US, the, the matches he's had with Tyler Bate. This is one of the best wrestlers in the world. I mean, I know we use that terminology a lot and it gets over overused, right? Because if I keep calling everyone one of the best wrestlers in the world, then who is the best wrestler in the world? Well, okay, yeah. Okay, Omega, Okada, like Obushi, those guys do operate at a certain level. But when you really are talking about the top 25 wrestlers in the world, it is a lot of them, you're talking about very minute differences in quality. And I do think Dunn at such a young age is in that group. Uh, Balor, I could make, you could make an argument, maybe he's not anymore, uh, but Dunn is. And them going head to head is going to be extremely interesting. Like I said, this match is going to bang. Dunn is a huge addition to NXT US. And I think this is going to set the course for him being a main eventer in NXT and maybe even WWE for years to come. Now we're going to stay talking about this angle, but we're going to roll into talking about the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Round 1 had three matches on this week's edition of NXT. And we'll go to the, the main match that actually has to do with this, which was Undisputed Era against Breezango. That ended up being the main event of the show. Roderick Strong on that note while we're talking about this match may be the most underrated hot tag in all of professional wrestling. He is so good in that role. The forearms, the backbreakers. He just goes absolutely insane when he gets hot tagged in a tag team match. Uh, Fandango ended up dodging a last shot and Tyler Breeze hit a pretty cool inverted backstabber. There was a great sequence of both teams trading huge moves. Dunn and the tag team champions ran down to brutalize O'Reilly and Balor made the save as Dunn was getting ready to bash in O'Reilly's jaw against one of those big standing metal posts that surround the ring. I don't exactly know what they do. Maybe they're for lights. Uh, but he was just about to like kick in his jaw there. Balor came down, got the save. Dunn eventually did get two shots on the jaw anyway. Cole realized when it was too late and got blindsided by a super kick. Cole then caught Fandango flying off the top rope with a super kick and got the win. It was a pretty good match and it was really a nice showing from Brizango. Cole ran over to O'Reilly after the match. Blood was gushing out of his mouth and he held his jaw as the show ended. So I'm not exactly sure what NXT is going to do storyline-wise with Undisputed Era and Balor. Considering Pat McAfee isn't around right now, and there's really not a good reason to do another four-on-four match with Balor being the only difference from what we saw at War Games. Maybe 
we get a six-man next week with Balor, Cole, and Strong against Dunn, um, Oni Lorcan, and Danny Birch. I could possibly see that, but then O'Reilly's not wrestling, and it's almost just like Balor's utilizing Undisputed Era to do a single-week storyline segment so that he doesn't have to keep building to Dunn for TakeOver. So again, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what their plan is, but ultimately it's pretty clear we're going to get Finn Balor against Pete Dunn at the February takeover. And now my question is, what are they going to do going forward? Is there going to be a March takeover around WrestleMania weekend? Are they possibly going to save it until after WrestleMania? Will they do a two-night WrestleMania again? All these things I don't have the answer to right now. What I will say is last year, and granted, last year was the start of COVID-19 and things were crazy and they had to operate on the fly. But moving TakeOver off of WrestleMania weekend and kind of just having those matches on NXT television over the ensuing weeks didn't really work for me. So I think I would much rather them on Saturday night have a TakeOver, on Sunday have WrestleMania. I prefer when we get those back to back, it it just really gets you amped up about a great weekend of wrestling. And doing that uh, in the off season of the NFL is really important. I, I don't like when they use TakeOver as just another pay-per-view event. They put it on a Sunday. It's still special because it's a TakeOver, but it just doesn't feel the same as when it's that Saturday night and you get really amped up for it. And then you're kind of thinking, man, what's WWE going to do Sunday to match this? And they're never able to, or sometimes they are. And you're like, wow, WWE really put a great pay-per-view on. They almost matched the TakeOver, right? I like that. And that has been lost in this last year. So I do hope they get back to it for those four major shows. Now we'll stick here with the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. We had the Grizzled Young Veterans defeat Everrise. This was really not much of a match, though Everrise did get a bit more offense than I expected. Grizzled Young Veterans dominated as they should have given the opponent, and they did look like the top contender in the 16-team field. They won with Ticket to Mayhem. So right now I do have them as the favorites. It would make sense for them to come out as the favorites. Of course, there is a heel tag team as champions right now, but nevertheless, they are the team that is strongest that really hasn't received a push in the United States, you know, to date. We also got the debuting MSK against Isaiah Swerve Scott and Jake Atlas. This marked the debut of two thirds of the former rascals from Impact. The presentation for MSK was strong with a really good theme entrance. I liked their gear. On that note, talking about gear, I think Swerve looks pretty stupid now uh, with his grill, one of the pieces of the grill being blacked out. So it looks like he's missing a tooth or something. The shiny silver, you know, gear that he wears. I can't really put my finger on it, but it just does not work at all for me considering Swerve's a guy that's just naturally cool. And he doesn't need like to be flashed up to come across as special. But I'll digress from the gear conversation. It just, it's striking me as weird what's happening with Swerve. This was a really good cruiserweight tag team match. Wesley, uh, who's one of the rascals, hit a big tope con giro. Uh, He proved to be the more impressive of the two compared to Nash Carter. Swerve hit a cool rolling flatliner. MSK then hit assisted midair standing moonsault. That was pretty sick. That used to be their finisher but now it looks like they're using it as a setup move. Swerve came back with a brain buster and a really effortless 450. I don't think I've ever seen someone hit a 450 
as easily as he can and Ricochet. It's just insane. Uh, but Nash broke the fall. Swerve was thrown backwards, almost with like a Poison Rana. And MSK got the win with an assisted cradle blockbuster for an impressive debut. I don't necessarily think that should be their finisher. There are so many tag teams who do blockbusters as a finisher. They probably need something a little bit flashier considering how athletic and talented they are. But it was still an impressive debut. These guys definitely have it. Uh, and they are a much needed addition to the NXT tag team division. Really a great signing by Triple H. Now, for those that don't know, there's a third member of the Rascals. His name is Trey Miguel. He's not signed anywhere right now, but apparently NXT does want him. So we do need to see if he ends up following his former partners that, or if he ends up winding up in AEW. Miguel said he had some personal issues that delayed him signing a deal anywhere. So that that's why he's not with anyone. I think it would be pretty smart if he joined the other two rascals in NXT, but hey, to each their own. We don't know the direction he's going to go. But for those two so far, an impressive debut. And like I said, a really necessary, legitimate tag team addition to NXT, which needs legitimate tag teams, needs exciting performers. If we can get MSK on a takeover match with fans in attendance, let's say six months from now, they're going to blow the roof off whatever arena they're in. I've watched a lot of their videos. They are incredibly impressive. Later after the match, Swerve and Atlas had to be separated backstage and Bronson Reed stepped in and got in Swerve's face. So it looks like they're probably going to have a match next week. Though I'm pretty sure I was just angry like two or three weeks ago that Reed beat Swerve very easily for no reason when they just had a singles match out of nowhere. Coming up next week for the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, we have Lucha House Party against Imperium. I have to believe Imperium will win that. And then Kushida, Leon Ruff against The Way. That one is a little bit tougher. You know, on one hand, you would say, well, the faces, it would make sense to get a win, get Kushida pushed. The Way's together. Gargano's the North American champion. He doesn't need it. But I, I don't know that you can have Gargano and Austin Theory as a faction and start building them strong without them winning a tag team match like this. So I'll probably go with The Way winning this, but We'll talk a little bit more in a moment about the direction they're going with Johnny Gargano and Kushida. So we'll touch on that momentarily. I do want to first talk about Karrion Cross having his sights set on the NXT Championship. Scarlett was featured in a video playing with like tarot cards, alternating between English and another language. She basically said they were focused on the prince. Uh, so it seems to me like Cross will be staying a little bit in the background until Balor gets through done in February, which makes Cross the obvious opponent and probable next champion, maybe in March around WrestleMania weekend. Again, this is what we expected. Are we slightly dismayed by it? Maybe. I mean, look, Cross, the presentation's great. Do we love him as a main eventer in NXT, possibly holding that title for eight months? I don't know if that's unfortunate to use the phrase best for business. I really don't. I don't think he gets that many people excited, but I do like him as a character. And you know, I think this is one of those scenarios where it's like, you know what, show me. Because I wasn't that thrilled initially when Drew McIntyre won the NXT title a few years ago. And look what Drew McIntyre is now. So let's get Cross, I guess, the championship as we're going to expect in March or April. And we'll see kind of what happens from there. Look, Balor was not supposed to have a title reign uh, right now. It's supposed to be Cross probably this entire time. So it does make sense for them to eventually go back into that direction. We did have another sit down in, in a darkened building uh, for Fight Pit, Wade Barrett hosted, 
NXT repeated this from, I think it was the first Balor-O'Reilly match. That one was incredible. This one was incredible as well. Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher were awesome in this segment. Ciampa said Thatcher is a great grappler, but a garbage coach because he takes liberties with his students. Thatcher is a bit rough talking and cutting promos, but Ciampa carried him in this segment in a major way. This set the stage for the fight pit next week, and I really couldn't be more excited. Hopefully it main events NXT. It should get all the attention it deserves. It's a great concept. Thatcher and Ciampa are gonna go apeshit on each other. It's gonna be brutal, and I can't wait. It was a great move to take this off of TakeOver. There may have been reasons, whether it's COVID, whether it was legitimate injury. I don't exactly know why it was moved, but it was gonna be way too jam-packed on that show. So it was a great decision, I guess, or a great happenstance that it ended up getting moved and put into a main event of a TV takeover, which is where it deserves to be. We will wrap up with the men in NXT by talking about Johnny Gargano defeating Dexter Loomis in a non-title match. Gargano cut a promo about his excitement for the Dusty Cup, and Austin Theory walked up with a package for Gargano. It had funny drawings from Dexter Loomis in them. Say what you will about Loomis, as a wrestler, as a character, whatever, he does really good caricatures. Like the work is great and WWE could sell them. Like if they posted those originals on the WWE shop, I bet you people would bid a significant amount of money for them because they are legitimately good and funny as well. Uh, Loomis in the match hit a kip up leg drop. That was impressive. Gargano nearly got a pin with a crucifix. Loomis then countered one final beat twice and nearly had Gargano knocked out with silence when Austin Theory climbed onto the ring apron. Gargano used that to get the roll-up win. Loomis stalked Theory and locked him in silence while laying on the ring apron. Before the way ganged up on Loomis, Kushida ran down for the save and clinched in the hoverboard lock, cinched in the hoverboard lock on Gargano, making him tap while Loomis again locked Theory in silence and made him tap. Kushida then threw the North American title at Gargano, which kind of indicates where they're going there. I thought this was Loomis's best match so far in NXT. No surprise. It came against Gargano working with him. I was concerned they were going to go down and roll with him as the next North American Championship challenger until Kushida showed up. So that has to be the direction going forward. We thought Kushida might challenge Balor for the NXT title, but it does seem clear he's going to be going after Johnny Gargano and the North American Championship. That's going to make a lot of sense. Whether that occurs in February or even further down the line, it's really going to depend on the Dusty Classic and the direction they book that. But Gargano Kushida long-term, very excited to have that feud and have that match. Now let's shift over to the women this week. Raquel Gonzalez was focused on Io Shirai backstage. Gonzalez cut a video promo on Rhea Ripley being just like 2020, a bad memory to forget. She said she's now looking at winning the NXT Women's Championship because she's the baddest bitch in town. I thought this worked well and cast her really strong. So keep going in this direction with Gonzalez. The show opened, NXT opened with a women's match, Shotzi Blackheart against Candice LeRae. LeRae hit a cool springboard splash outside off the bottom rope and Blackheart later hit a DDT on the ring apron followed by a tope suicida. Shotzi did an awesome counter to the Gargano escape, nailing LeRae in the face, but Indy Hartwell interfered. And she went over the top rope as LeRae hit an avalanche swinging neckbreaker for the win. It was a really damn good match between these two. It just never hit that second gear. I would say outside of the MSK match, this was probably the second best match on the show. But 
like I said, it just never really hit that high intensity level, but it was good wrestling top to bottom. I didn't actually expect LeRae to end up winning the feud with Shotzi, but I guess it makes sense based on the fact that she's now in a faction and really Candice hasn't won much in NXT, so she probably needed to get a win, a feud win. So this was a good one for her to get. Blackheart kind of brushed off the loss later in the show, said she's focused on winning the Women's Dusty Cup. Ember Moon stepped up as her partner and she said they were gonna go balls to the wall and win the whole thing. I like their combination. They made sense during War Games being a team and they make sense together here too. I also like that they keep accentuating the positives and having Moon do these taped promos. It was another really good moment for her. Live mic in the ring, she struggles. Backstage taped promo really shines. So just keep going in that direction with Ember Moon. As far as the women's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, so they're actually gonna debut this next week, which is kind of silly to do two tag team tournaments simultaneously. I'd much prefer there to be one after the other. You do the men's, you end it at TakeOver, you start the women's the next week, you end it at the next TakeOver. I, I don't know why you wouldn't go in that direction. In addition to Shotzi and Moon, the KCs, uh, Casey Cantanzaro and Caden Carter, along with Tony Storm and Mercedes Martinez are the are two other teams that were announced. One has to assume the way will be a fourth team and Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez will be a fifth. I have to assume we're gonna get to eight. So there's gonna be three more teams that they need to name. I don't know who exactly those are going to be. That should be interesting. Maybe they'll bring up a couple women from WWE and put them in. Hopefully the winners get an WWE women's tag team title match. And that's why I think they should have started this after this upcoming takeover, because then you could have that match for the titles on the next takeover. Maybe you even let them win. So I just think the booking is a little strange to do two tag team tournaments simultaneously. Other than that, look, the women are great in NXT. It's going to be great wrestling. I'm excited for that as well. And we'll wrap up with Zia Lee defeating a jobber. I, I don't even think the name of the woman was even revealed. That's how quickly she beat her. The name of Zia Lee's group that she's in with Boa and the mysterious woman is Tian Sha, which is closely related to a mountain range in Northern China. I did some Googling called Tian Shan. Uh, I don't know what the meaning will be in NXT, but it is a legitimate Chinese name of some type. It's not completely made up, I guess is the point I'm getting at. Uh, Zia Lee immediately hit a like right hand back fist, then sized up her opponent and hit that like trouble in paradise type of finisher for a win in 15 seconds or so. They didn't even, like I said, name the jobber. The mysterious woman then directed Zia Lee to keep attacking. So she hung up the jobber on the ropes, beat her down with some more strikes. I like Zaya dominating like this with a two-strike finish. The gimmick is really hitting and it does have some mysteriousness surrounding it. So, you know, NXT was strong this week. It wasn't exceptional uh, like it was last week. Certainly New Year's Evil is going to be one of those end of the year finalists for special event of the year when we do our getting over awards, AKA the Meaties for 2021. But of course it was a special episode. This was kind of a run-of-the-mill episode. You could even say maybe the wrestling, I don't want to say took a step back from what we normally get from NXT, but we didn't really have a big match on the show, per se. It was just a lot of good, above-average wrestling. The debut of MSK was a highlight. 
The fight pit segment was a highlight. Gargano and Loomis was strong. And like I said, the Candice LeRae, Shotzi Blackheart match was strong as well. So a good show, very entertaining, a a worthy competitor uh, for AEW Dynamite, which itself gave us a very worthy show. And we'll move into that and talk about it right now. Now with AEW these days, generally we start talking about Impact, but nothing that notable happened on Impact this week. And I don't want to criticize the Tony Khan commercial thing. I was loving it. Uh, Last week, I think I told you I turned a corner where I said, hey, these might get old. And then last week I said, you know what? These aren't getting old. Keep doing it. Well, this week it got old. So (laughs) so, uh, I'll just kind of skip Impact in its entirety. And we'll talk about Dynamite. And let's actually start with the main event, because unlike a lot of Dynamites, this did have a singular major storyline match reason, you know, to talk about something on top and not just go in order of events. We had the TNT Championship on the line, Darby Allen defending against Brian Cage. I feel like Darby in this match should have insisted that the FTW title be put on the line with this made a champion versus champion match. I always appreciate when title matches are placed in the main event and treated with the importance they deserve. WWE does not do this enough with its mid-card or its tag team titles. If you have a WWE title match, a women's championship match, generally it either is in the main event or it's in a different part of the show like the opener where it's there for a reason because they have another main event segment that they need to feature in that spot. But AEW makes an effort to always ensure the world title or in this case, the TNT title is in the main event. And I do appreciate that very much. I did spend most of the match wondering when Sting would come down to save Darby and or help him retain the title. So despite everything that happened in the match, that was kind of always over my head. It was almost like an albatross on the match. It's like, well, no matter how good this is, we're going to get Sting at the end. So Cage caught Darby diving with a tope suicida. He pulled that immediately into a vertical suplex outside. Then he lifted Darby and threw him out of the ring a good 10 feet through the ring announcer's table, which was crazy. That was a legit holy shit type of spot. Darby bladed his forehead there. Cage was ruthless and tossed Darby like a ragdoll for an extended period of time before hitting four power bombs, including one over the top rope onto the stage. Darby gave him the finger after that. Darby then bit Cage's hand, leading him to fall backwards onto steel steps that were outside the ring. Then he climbed the top rope and hit a coffin drop. Darby eventually hit a stunner, tied Cage's legs together with his belt, then hit Code Red. At that moment, Team Taz interfered with Darby on the top rope. The lights went out for like a split second and Sting was there. He hit Ricky Starks with the bat. Darby then reversed Cage's offense into an avalanche crucifix for the pinning combination as the win. So this was a really exciting and really attention-keeping match. And the finishing sequence with Darby and Cage was great. But the Sting appearance for me just, it just completely killed the momentum down the stretch. The Sting stuff is just not for me. I mean, maybe that's it. Sting appearing every week, not saying anything, generally not doing anything. In this case, just hitting Ricky Starks one time with a bat. I don't get it. Like, I don't get why it's so exciting. If you love Sting, cool. But like, like if Bret Hart came to WWE and stood next to Sami Zayn for two months and he just stood there and he didn't do anything. And then one week, like Zayn's about to lose a match and he just, Bret hits someone with a bat. Are people going to be that excited that Bret Hart's on TV every single week? I guess with Sting, maybe it's a little bit different. 
because of the WCW and TNT stuff. And I get it. But maybe just because I was never a WCW guy, I was never a huge Sting fan. So to me, it's not a big deal. But the constant announcements of, you will see Sting this week on AEW Dynamite. And then he just, it's the same thing mostly every week. It's not really drawing me in. But I loved the match. Darby and Brian Cage was great. I just thought that kind of killed the momentum at the end where Darby could have probably just kicked one of those guys and hit the crucifix, got the win. Then Team Taz comes to attack him. And then Sting makes the save afterward. Because you think about Darby now and the way he's won the title and defended the title against two bigger dudes is basically with pinning combinations. He can't just like win matches. So I just kind of would have liked it to be a little bit stronger booking for Darby where someone didn't need to come save him. Alas, that's what we got. And, you know, just got to roll with it. Inner Circle did New Year's resolutions. They all gave silly resolutions, mostly. MJF said fat people had to go. And then Chris Jericho said he and MJF will win the tag team championships this year. Santana and Ortiz had a problem with it. And Sammy Guevara called Jericho a tag team slut, which sent them all into a frenzy. I thought that was legitimately funny. Guevara uh, pointed out that they had tagged. Jericho teamed with Jake Hager. And now he's teaming with MJF. Jericho said any two of them in Inner Circle could win the tag team titles suggesting a triple threat match next week to determine the official tag team of Inner Circle. Jericho, MJF, Santana, and Ortiz, or Sammy and Jake Hager. So they made a Sammy Hagar joke, which, you know, pretty funny. I don't know how many people of their younger audience got that, but yeah, I liked it. Uh, Wardlow just stood there the entire time, said nothing, didn't seem like he wanted to participate in the promos or the wrestling. So he's just back to being that. Inner Circle stuff for me has been hit or miss recently, but this was a big hit. I love the idea of an intra-faction triple threat tag team match. It should be great. You do wonder if almost, not that they let Jericho win, meaning the rest of the faction, but maybe they don't hit him as hard because he's the leader. I'm very curious to see how the dynamics of that match work out. They could tell me that would be the main event next week and I would totally believe it. That's how excited I am to kind of see that. I think it's going to be awesome. We had a six-man tag team match, the Elite against the Varsity Blondes and Danny Limelight, which is the real name of a wrestler, apparently. Uh, The Good Brothers were Kenny Omega's tag team partners instead of the Young Bucks, who were standing backstage with Tony Khan, angry about the switch after thinking they would be in the match. It was obvious where it was going, but Don Callis did a great job with the swerve announcement. But this match went way longer than necessary. Carl Anderson eventually hit a spinebuster followed by the magic killer with Luke Gallows for the win. John Moxley ran in afterward and was joined randomly by the Lucha Bros to attack Omega and the Good Brothers. They all brawled until random locker room people eventually, eventually separated them. Moxley hit paradigm shift on one and then the worst tope suicide ever. He should not do that again. Uh, the Bucks then came down to hold off Mox. I say worst tope suicide ever, but Brie Bella is the worst ever the second worst Tope Suicida ever. Uh, but they brawled, like I said, uh, the Bucks then came down to hold off Moxley, but the Lucha Bros then came back and caught them from behind with super kicks. Omega hightailed it out of there as everyone else brawled. This was somewhat nonsensical and a little bit convoluted and confusing, but we're going to wait to see how it all plays out because clearly there's a storyline reason why, why you're involving the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks Maybe they're going to get to a feud. I'm not exactly sure, but it just, in this moment, it was a little strange. The idea of Omega choosing the Good Brothers over the Bucks is an interesting one, especially because 
they didn't get far more upset about it like I thought they would in the moment. So it does kind of lead you to wonder where this is all going. Again, going to hold out judgment and see what they do next week. We had Pac defeat Eddie Kingston. Pac was on absolute fire running into the ring to open the show. He had a missile dropkick followed by a twisting tope con giro. It started slowing down massively after that, but there was some good strong style blows between the two. Kingston had some great facial expressions. Pac hit a superplex, another missile dropkick, and the black arrow for the win. He then immediately put Kingston in the brutalizer, but realized that he wasn't going to be able to keep it on him. So he released it when the other four guys ran into the ring. Lance Archer ran down again to help and got in Pac's face again before walking off. Similar to the Sting thing, the Lance Archer thing, it's just like they just keep delaying this and delaying it. Get to whatever it is. Whatever the Lance Archer Pac thing is going to be, like, I don't need them staring down each other four times. Do it twice and then move on with the storyline. Um, I just don't get why they keep dragging things out. But this was an enjoyable match, a good opening segment. Pac is really good. He definitely raises the rent for AEW from a male singles perspective being back in the United States. We got the first AEW Dynamite edition of The Waiting Room, uh, which is Britt Baker's show with Cody Rhodes this week. Apparently, this had been a segment on Dark for a long time, but it's my first time seeing it. So any takes I have here that you're like, well, no shit, Silver King. Like, that's what the segment is. Well, okay, I haven't seen it before. So (laughs) I don't watch Dark every week, so I can only do what I can do. Uh, But this to me came off like a, kind of like a corny Oprah slash Jerry Springer, but also like a version of the Firefly Funhouse where it's kayfabe, but also reality. It was, you know, a little weird, but the beginning was really funny for me with Britt Baker making fun of Cody's pyro, his neck tattoo, and his reality show. Then she welcomed Jade Cargill, who cut a really shitty promo, said she and Shaq have wondered where her match is. Then she pushed Cody in the face. Red Velvet came in, and they got into a hard way slapping match before the women's locker room basically emptied and pulled them apart. The positives were shitting on Cody. The brawl was decent. The women got featured in a segment besides the one match that they get on the show in the final quarter hour. Jade, though, is really bad. I'll just keep repeating that. She sucks. She's not ready for TV. She's way too green. She could absolutely kick my ass. But other than that, she's just not ready for prime time and they just keep forcing it. Uh, Later, Thunder Rosa cut a promo on Baker and said they would be fighting at beach break. Baker said she refused to fight because Tony Khan promised she wouldn't have to and then just ended the segment. So we finally get to see the best women's wrestler in the company in Thunder Rosa against someone who should be the most pushed wrestler among the women in the company in Britt Baker. After all this time, we finally get the match and it's going to happen at beach break. So I actually am very excited for that. The NWA Women's Championship was on the line. Uh, Serena Deeb defeating Ty Conchi. You know the deal. 90 minutes in, double commercial break. This was Conchi's best match that I can remember by a significant margin. No surprise considering Deeb was fighting her and probably carried her for most of it. There were still a couple of botches, especially late. Deeb won with the detox to retain the title as expected. It was a solid match. Like I said, there were a couple mistakes. We're not going to crap on it too much. The, the women's wrestling that we're getting on AEW is improved, but any concentration on the division is generally not. This week, I do have to give them credit though, because they did two full segments on the women and that's double what they normally do. So credit where it is due. Miro defeated Chuck Taylor. He, Miro largely dominated the match. It was basically a squash. 
He had a thrust kick and then the accolade for the easy win. Look, at least AEW finally allowed him to look super strong, which is a good sign going forward. Chuck now has to be Miro's butler through the wedding, which is a bit of a unique gimmick, I guess, these days. The storyline's been less than impressive, so we'll have to just see where it goes. My guess is Miro versus Orange Cassidy is a match down the line with Chuck, I guess his indentured servitude, for really lack of a better term, on the line, where if Orange Cassidy wins, he gets released. Something like that, I guess, is the direction they're going to go. So Miro, it's good. A step in the right direction. As far as the storyline with Chuck and Kip Sabian and all them, it's just still for me, it doesn't really change. Uh, FTR defeated Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. So AEW fans this week made a huge deal that Tony Khan bought Jungle Boy's indie theme, which is Tarzan Boy. Makes sense. No doubt that he used it. I don't understand why it's that big of a deal. I actually like the Jurassic Express theme, but okay, now they have Tarzan Boy. And if you love Jungle Boy on the indies, which I can't imagine many of you knew who he was before AEW, but if you did, then you're probably very happy about that. Jungle Boy had a really good hot tag in the match. Stunt came back in and got leveled with a lariat. Stunt hit a low blow while getting pummeled in the corner, but Tully Blanchard then ran him into a ring post outside. There was no explanation why Luchasaurus was not at ringside with them. I don't know why he wouldn't be there when FTR had their third. FTR then took out Jungle Boy outside and hit the big rig, which is the new name of the Goodnight Express to respect Brody Lee uh, for the victory. Commentary put this over as some great match. I just thought it was okay. Certainly not up to the standards of AEW tag team wrestling. I will say it completely 100% abided by tag team rules, which was really nice for a change, mostly because Rich Knox was not the referee. Uh, I loved that. So I got a real tag team match in AEW. They've been doing more of those recently. So again, credit where it is due. We also had Matt Hardy and Private Party arguing backstage. This, I thought, was the worst segment on both shows combined. Uh, Private Party signed with the Matt Hardy brand. Sound familiar? Robert Stone brand? Uh, Last week, but was already angry that they're giving him 30% when they knew and agreed to that last week. It was a part of the segment they had. Then you have Matt Hardy taking another third-party platform shot at Vince McMahon and WWE, and then he yelled at private party. To me, this storyline makes zero sense. The shots at WWE were, again, silly, even if accurate. And look, I'll just say it, the segment completely sucked. Zero point zero. And last here for AEW is the Dark Order trying to move on, of course, following the real life death of Brody Lee. Evil Uno was trying to be somewhat jovial. He brought Hangman Adam Page in from the bar uh, and got him to basically agree to a tag team match next week, I think, with John Silver as his partner. They tried to feed him alcohol, literally like pouring Jack Daniels into his cup and convince him to join. And then Page said what he would do is make an official decision next week after the match. So we'll have to see where that goes. The whole segment was corny, but in a very good corny comedy type of way. I think especially now that Brody Lee's not there and they don't have an exalted one, having this group be a corny comedy type of faction is really the way to go because it didn't work when it was serious without Brody. With Brody, he raised the rent in a major way. 
but it still only had a, a, a very finite level of success. I still think it's a low ceiling for Dark Order, but at least allow some of these guys like John Silver and Evil Uno to be the front, be that kind of generic comedy, silly type of face. And it adds a different level of content to what you get from AEW Dynamite. So I do think that this is positive going forward. So like I said, a a pretty damn good episode of AEW. I was really loving the main event, the Darby Allen, Brian Cage main event, recapping again, the inner circle New Year's resolution segment. I thought it was not only funny, but it sets up a really good match for next week. The elite thing didn't deliver to the level I thought it would, and it was a little bit convoluted. And the waiting room segment was a big surprise. I didn't think I would like that as much as I ultimately did. So overall, a successful AEW, a successful NXT. I did earlier this week in our WWE episode, tease possibly getting WWE official Adam Pierce for an interview this week. It actually ended up falling through due to scheduling conflicts. So I don't know if I'll actually get an opportunity to talk to him, but I did think it was timely. I apologize for the tease. That's generally why I say I have a big interview coming or an interview I think you will end up loving on its way rather than name people. Because every time you name someone, unless the interview is pre-taped, I'm just giving you a little inside baseball here. Every time you do that, it ends up getting canceled or rescheduled or something happens. So I am a victim of that this week and it's probably mostly my own fault. So no interview this week. It will be a two episode week of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, but we will be back on Tuesday to talk all things WWE. Enjoy your long weekend. Enjoy the second round, the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Very excited for that. This is the Silver King reminding you to head on over to Twitter and follow us at Getting Overcast and check out Apple Podcasts to drop a five-star rating and review to let us know how much you love the show. So I am saying goodbye. That means there's only one more person left to send you out on the Thursday edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And I thank you all for listening. Bye for now.